Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. You guys had a crazy uh, few weeks there. <laughs> it was a pretty wild start to the year, man. Wow. Um, that was so frustrating, I can imagine. That's 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 a good way to put it. Uh, it yeah. was it was scary for for a couple of weeks, but um, uh, but you know, man, we're we'll we learned a ton. We're better off for it ultimately. Yeah. Um, so you have to find the good that comes out of that stuff. But um, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, what else can you do, right? I mean, some assholes out there trying to trying to hold people hostage is just that that blows my mind that there's people out there that that's what they do. You know, I'm just it's it's for it's. I don't know. There just seems like so much better ways to live your life. <laughs> well, I agree. I mean, we don't, we don't know where they were. We, I mean, we're pretty sh- well, the FBI and the folks that helped us negotiate think Eastern Europe, but you really don't know. I mean, we had to pay yeah. a, a Bitcoin ransom payment. So um, basically can't trace that stuff. So we'll probably never know, you know, where they were or, whatever but um yeah it's a big it's big business now unfortunately um super big business it's only getting it's getting worse um but you know you've got foreign countries that are sort of turning the blind out of that stuff and a lot of money being sent overseas uh to pay those things so yeah yeah it's sad yeah but you know man we're we're in a good place the business is great uh we're so so fortunate that you know 90, 95% of our customers just, you know, thankfully were able to work around it and stuck with us, which has just been, I mean, such a blessing. And I mean, we're so incredibly thankful for that. So, yeah, no joke. I can imagine. Cause yeah, I mean, we were, we definitely had uh, people knocking at our door. <laughs> like, I, I don't even know how they, I guess they knew we were that somehow or another, they knew that we were, um, you know, clients of yours and they did, you know, re- we had companies reaching out. We were like, no, we're good. You know, we're not, I think the beauty of your platform for us anyways, has been the simplicity of it. You're not trying to be who you're not. So right. many of these other scheduling apps are like, oh yeah, and we do social media too. Oh yeah. And we also do inventory processing. We're like, we just want to write a schedule, man. Like <laughs> we just want to keep it simple. And like, and that's the beauty. And, and, and then the other way around, like we've been trying to find a good inventory processing company for years. And we have not had any luck with that because they all want to dabble in all this other stuff. And it just makes their platform really um, just overbearing. I mean, you look at it and you're like, God, where do I, what button do I press? Where do I begin? What screen am I looking at right now? Because they just try to do too much stuff. I think like hot schedules is probably a prime example of that. I'm sure they're one of your biggest competitors. They're probably one of the biggest market yeah. shareholders. And, yeah. and I did not care for them at all. I used them years and years ago when I was with Carabas 15 years ago or so. And um, yeah, wasn't a fan then and not a fan now. So it's, we, we like what we use and we were willing to stick it out. I knew that it would be fixed eventually. (laughs) So we just, we just held on. I think we only wrote maybe one schedule without using schedule fly. Cause how many days was it down for like six or eight days or something like that? Well, we went down about, about like 6am ish on a new year's day. And then uh, about five days later, we got the decryption key and decrypted everything, but it took us another five day. I think it was like 10 and a half days or 10 days. Uh, because we moved from 
you know, what, what we believed had been a very secure, and I mean, it was a very secure environment, but, you know, they, they found a way. Um, so we've moved to like Fort Knox. Like, right. Yeah. Like we're like, we're, we're like, we have like the same tools and, and, and security that like a large bank would have now. Um, sure. It's you know, sad that you have to do that. It really is. It's disappointing. And humanity disappoints me when I hear about things like that, <laughs> but it is what it is. So. Well, you know, we learned a lot, man. Thank you for those nice comments. I mean, we, we did learn a ton about, um, you know, just about our business, but also honestly about how incredibly thankful we are, how loyal so many of our customers are. And, you know, some just said, you know, Hey, and they did. I mean, gosh, it was amazing. How many people told me that they've had all these competitors calling on them. Uh, and some said, you know, look, we, we, we're going to move on or whatever. And maybe some will come back. Who knows? I don't know, but it will. It was, a, <laughs> it was such a, yeah, it was just such a minority though. I mean, so what was yeah. amazing to us is we kind of look at like, gosh, you know, this is great because the absolute overwhelming majority of our customers stuck through it. And I, we kind of, I think like, well, gosh, if, if that didn't cause them to go like, I, I you know, I, what is right. So, right. Um, well, I think the key to it, um, and, and we're learning this, like as we're growing and expanding ourselves, is that there's it was very genuine. Like when you guys came on, you were very transparent about what was going on, and you were and you were making these videos that just were very genuine. You could tell that you guys really cared and really were trying to get it fixed and how it was just as devastating to you as it was to everybody else. And and I think as business owners, we we don't I don't remember what podcast I was listening to. I think it was a Lex Freebin podcast recently. And he was talking to this guy who's like done everything in his life. He owns this major production company and he's worked, he played in a band that opened for the Rolling Stones and he's got like an airline company and like all this stuff. This guy's like a multi-billionaire, right? And he's like, people don't want to work with companies. They want to work with people, right? And so at some point in time, you become a company like Nike, right? Like I have no idea anybody who anybody is at Nike, right? (laughs) Because they're not in their commercials or anything like that. But that takes a long time before you get to that point. Um, In the beginning, for years and years and, and, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of people that you work with and everything, you're still a person. You know, it takes, it's a, it's a long time. I can't imagine decades before schedule fly will be, I don't know who well is, who's well, I just know schedule fly. What are you talking about? Well, <laughs> right. So oh, I think that makes a huge difference. And you said people want to work with people that are like-minded and that they feel are sincere and stuff like that. And I think, especially this day and age where there's not a lot of transparency and a lot of people can be kind of ugly about stuff. And so it makes a big, makes a big deal. It's important to us. Well, as long as we're here, man, we've I mean, we've had five of us for 15 years now. And, and right. as long as we're running this thing, that's it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's the same vibe. You know, I appreciate you saying that. It was a it was a weird thing because there's no roadmap for this stuff, we, you know, or playbook or whatever you want. I mean, like we're just but, you know, we uh, it, my my actually my stepmom. I think after the first one, I was pretty distraught in the first one. I mean, I, I couldn't hide it. And my stepmom said, you look like you're in a terrorist video, Will. And I was like, well. <laughs> I kind of feel like I am, you know, like, like you're sure. being held hostage or something like that. But, um, well, you were, I mean, you guys were being held hostage. Well, we, I mean, that's the reality, yeah. right. And I mean, yeah. that's what sucks. I mean, it's crazy. It was nuts, man. But, um, but thank you, man. And, uh, uh, it, so we, it's been a while since we've talked. Um, yeah. Tell me how things are going, uh, down at, down in Charleston or outside of Charleston. 
it's been crazy. I think the last time that we talked, you know, we were, it was just coming out of the pandemic. It was early 2020, maybe mid 2020, somewhere around there is my guess. Yeah. And um, we were trying to just figure things out at that time. You know, things were going well. We were we were having success um, despite what everything that was happening. We were, we had the benefit of having a big outdoor space, which was really helpful. Um, we had a huge loyal customer following, which obviously is really helpful. Um, so even when we were just doing to go orders only, we were doing way more than we expected that we were going to do. So we were able to really hold on to the majority of our staff. I think we lost two employees. Um, we laid off our entire staff in the beginning, and then we brought everybody back right away, um, which was nice. I think within a month, we had our full staff working again, but we were we only, I think, lost two people that just found other jobs. Do, it really, one moved to California, um, which is where he's originally from, and then another one just found a job doing something else. He didn't want to live off an unemployment, and I don't blame him. Um, but since then we were approached with a, uh, a national, um, company that, um, was interested in franchising our brand. And we said, no, that's not something that we're interested in. It's not something that works for us. And, uh, the more I learned about and understood the concept behind franchising, um, the more I started to really fall in love with the idea. And, and for me, what it is, franchising means a lot of different things to a lot of people. And I think in a lot of ways, for some people, it's a money grab because, you know, they feel like they can grow really fast and not have to put as much investment into what they're doing. For us, it couldn't be more opposite. We actually told our sales team, we want to grow really slow um, because we want to really invest in the entrepreneurs that we're working with. And that's yeah. what excited me about it is that I'm taking a business model that works, that has um, years of experience. We've gotten out all the kinks. We've done all the things that didn't work and we've done all the things that do, that do work. And now we're able to take that and, and give it to somebody and say, hey, this is how you do it. And so we're, we're working with some really fantastic franchisees that um, are super excited about the brand. They know us well. And, um, and I couldn't, be more honored to have somebody say, oh my gosh, I love what you do so much that I'm willing to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars to do what you do as well. And that yeah. is mind blowing to me. I didn't know if we'd ever even sell one, <laughs> to be honest with you. Oh. I was kind of like shot in the dark if we would, but it's, but it has been really successful so far and, uh, and we're continuing to grow and we've got some really great people behind us, a great sales team behind us and a, and a really great, we've built the structure here um, and developing a really big management team to um, help do the grand openings and go do all the training that we need to do to make sure these people are successful. Um, and so it's been a, been a big process. It took us about six months to, to get it all done, to, to be ready to roll and all the legal stuff that goes with it too. It's very, um, it's, it's really controlled by the government and it should be. It's one of those things that you don't want people out there just saying, Hey, buy my business, give me some money. And then it's a failure. So it's, there's a lot of systems that are in place for legal reasons, um, which is great. It, you become almost publicly traded company in a lot of ways, um, hmm. especially if you want to do business with SBA. You have to be really transparent with them, um, which I enjoy because I'm a very transparent person. So it didn't bother me at all to say, yeah, this is here's our books. Here's what we do. <laughs> you know, we're not trying to hide anything. Um, and uh, so it's been great. So as a matter of fact, I have a, a meeting with a franchisee as soon as we wrap up here um, at about 2.15. So whenever... 
whenever we're done, I'm going right into another meeting. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Um, I saw, I noticed in your, your, I think it's your email signature. Is that <laughs> where I saw it? it has that? Probably so. well, wait a minute now. There, that's something that's changed. Well, first of all, congrats. That's Thank super you. exciting. And I can tell uh, watching you and listening to you, that's a really exciting thing for you and your team and a big deal for you. And so congrats on that. Um, Thank you. So let's dive into that. I mean, what, so you, you got this worked out and so now you're going to have franchisees. Um, is there a, is there a geographic area that, that you'll expand to or like, how does it all work and yeah. how many people do you have signed up so far? Sure. Yeah. So we're, we, we want to stay focused on the Southeast to start with so that we have easy proximity to be able to get to help people and to train and, and um, hopefully some brand recognition and stuff like that as well um, in the Southeast. And I'll give you a great example of that is that our first franchisee is in Greenville, South Carolina. It's about three and a half hours from here. Yeah. And um, I've been there a couple of times to like look at their location and meet with the architect and stuff. And literally the, all the guys in their firm had eaten with us before. And, you know, I go work out of the gym with our franchisee. We go do CrossFit together and like half the guys at the gym had, and they eat with us before because we're their beach community for them. You know, we're on the coast and they're in the mountains. So, um, so it's great. So we have a, a, you know, a lot of people that already know our brand and love our brand. And so we should have a lot of success there. It's going to be really great. And we've got a phenomenal group of entrepreneurs there. Um, a group of four guys who um, are best friends. A couple of them are related um, brother-in-laws and uh, they've been in, you know, business with each other for years and years. They, they do, they have a, a multiple different businesses that they already own and uh, they're going to have a lot of success with us. It's been really fun. And so we've got that location. Um, and then we're, um, we're working on another one here in Charleston and Mount Pleasant, which is a suburb of Charleston. I don't know how familiar you are with that yeah. area, but that's who I'm meeting with right after this. Um, we've got a location. We just put a letter of intent on. Um, so we should be hopefully open within the next, like I would say eight months approximately in that location. Um, and then we've got three other people in the works in, in uh, Texas. Um, we've got uh, three really promising. I mean, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of leads, um, but um, you know, you're asking somebody to invest anywhere from a half a million to, you know, $1.5 million with you. So it's a big, it's a lot of money. And so there it's a big investment. And so you might get hundreds and hundreds of leads and they might result in, in one or two sales. Um, and, and that's okay. I mean, we want the right fit. We want the right people to, that we're going to work with. And so like the guy in Mount Pleasant was lives here on James Island, was a regular of ours, loves the brand, knew the brand well. And, um, and so he's excited about it. And, uh, and then we've got a guy in Dallas that we just did what we call a discovery day with where they come and they, come to the restaurant if they've never been here before and he had not been here before so um we do a tour and we take them around and show them everything and they learn the brand and they eat with us and they get to meet the management team and the trainers and all that stuff and so got a guy in dallas we're working with a guy in houston and a guy in austin texas as well so we've got three three really strong leads in texas too so how did the um who vets these like the lead comes in does it come into the franchise company or like how how do you you and they them work together yeah so we have a we have a sales team essentially that we work with um it is uh called the franchise matchmakers is the name of the company that we work with they're commission based company so we work with them directly and they 
they essentially, the guy that's done it has been doing this for years and years. He's sold hundreds and hundreds of franchises and if not thousands. And then my direct, that's who owns the company. Um, his name is Lex and he's the one who sought us out. Um, not him individually, but one of his employees. Um, he's, he has a couple of employees that are tasked each year with finding new franchises. And um, they came across our brand on social media and, um, and liked our branding and then when we got to talk, they and found out my corporate training background and, you know, opening 13 restaurants in my career and all that kind of stuff. They were like, oh, really? Uh, <laughs> let's talk yeah. a little more. So um, that's what kind of led to it. Uh, and, and I'll go back to saying the thing that was really different. And I think that he'll say to I know he'll say because he says it all the time is he's never worked with a franchisee that wanted to grow slow or franchisor, I guess I should say that want to grow slow. They, they most franchisors get into it because they see the ability to grow a lot faster than they could on their own. And I couldn't be more different from that because it, it doesn't, we wouldn't be as, we wouldn't be really successful if we did that. We might have some success, you know, if we did that, but for me, the success is in the training is in the, the, getting these guys and, and, and women up to speed on where we need to be and how we need to do it. And this is a big, the restaurant business is, is not easy, right? It's a big beast right. and it takes right. a lot of effort to do it. And so um, it's really important that we put a lot of effort into making sure these people are really successful. And so, so yeah, so they, they basically, most of our leads come in, we have three different formats that we use to generate leads, but 90 something percent probably 95 percent of them come in through social media particularly through facebook so we market in these different markets we have like a really great video um that comes across like as an ad on your facebook page and um just kind of is, it's a it's a branded video that is just our it's our brand and then at the end of it it says um franchise with us and then there's a tag at the bottom that says um click here to learn more and you click that and you fill out a lead form and then that information then goes to my sales rep and then he filters those leads. Um, typically they say in the industry that about every, it takes about a hundred leads to close one. Um, but we're different because we are what's considered an emerging brand where like, we don't, we don't have any like franchisees open yet. Right. So we don't have any history to be able to show people to say, Hey, these are successful. Um, we know that they will be, but until then, it's a hard sale. So people might like our brand a lot, but then they're like, well, yeah, but you don't have any locations open yet that are franchisees. So once we do that, once we get locations open and they have success, um, we're required to show their success or if they're not successful. Um, and so, um, you know, when, when we, when we, once we get those open and rolling and then we have some new, it's called a franchise disclosure document and it's a disclosing all of your information about your franchise. Once that gets updated with these franchises open on it and they're successful, that um, the doors will open up a lot more at that point in time because you have more people that will be interested because there's data to show. Um, so You've got if you've got somebody that's interested and they're in the, you know in a good location geographically, um, and they've got the ability to make the financial commitment. What else is uh like? What are you guys looking for? What are the things that they need to, you know, that you need to check off, if, if you will, to make sure you feel confident that they'll be able to pull it off? Because clearly you're uh, 
you're doing it. This, I mean, I can, I can relate to the way you're doing it. Like mm-hmm. you're, you care very much about your brand. And so you're not going to just franchise to make money. You're franchising to, to grow the success you've had and to, and to reach more people, but to do it successfully, which means I bet you'll probably get most, if not all these right. Um, but that means getting people that really buy into that, that at the same level you do, which I've got to imagine is, is not easy to pick out, you know? Yeah. So how do you vet those people? <laughs> you know, right. It's a great, it's a great question. I, I don't know if there's a perfect way to do it. I mean, we have turned down people so far. I mean, there's been people that have been interested and passed the financial background check and all that kind of stuff and were able to do it, but just weren't the right fit. Um, I wish I had a great answer for that. I, I am a big, um, you know, it's kind of like interviewing like a general manager, but this is on a a next level. Right. Um, so I'm a big, big believer in your gut. I mean, we want to really like, I I tell my, my management team here all the time. My gut has always been right. Every single time I've gone against it and been like, well, I like this person, but something's not quite right. But I don't, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to go for it anyways. It's burned me every time. <laughs> so I'm definitely a believer in, in whatever that gut, whatever that is. I don't know, you know, I know yeah. people say it's another, you know, you've got a second brain down there and I, I yeah. there, it must be something that's going on because it definitely works. So I'm a big believer in that. And that's been a couple of franchisees that have worked for us. I just, something wasn't right. That didn't feel right with them. But, you know, it's got to be a cultural thing. I mean, they got to be guys like me and you that have, you know, transparency. And you can see that in people usually pretty quickly when you sit down and talk with people, whether they're like real or they're just kind of putting on a front. Um, you know, I am who I am. You know, I, I don't try to fake it or anything like that. And, um, and you know, I try to be a good person. I try to give back to the community and stuff like that. We talk a lot about that stuff in the interview process of like, you know, hey, do you do any volunteer work? Like, are you, do you coach a kid's, you know, basketball team? Do you like, do you work at a, you know, I don't know, a SBA or SBCA or something? Or, you know, I mean, what do you do to be involved in your community? And then, you know, yeah. what's your background? Like, the interesting thing is that how many restaurateurs do you know that have that kind of money to invest? It's pretty rare, right? So yeah. ideally that would be the perfect candidate would be the guy who's like, oh, I've been a general manager for, 10 years, I've got all this experience. I've opened these restaurants. I've worked at this place. You know, this is my resume. It's amazing. But then that guy's like, I don't have the money to invest most likely, you know, he's, he, you know, is making a good living, but not the kind of money to like open up his own place. And, and then a lot of times, why, why haven't you opened up your own place? You know, if you're a GM and you've been a GM for years and years, what, why haven't you gone to that next level? So for us, we're getting a lot more investor type um, people that are involved in the business, but they're not daily operations guys, if that makes sense. So what we're doing is we're putting GMs in place for them. Um, we're helping them to hire the person oh, that's going to okay. be who's running the business, right? The guy who's going to be there daily helping to run the show. We're putting in a kitchen manager. We're putting in a bar manager. Those are our three main positions. Um, we obviously have, depending on the volume, front of the house managers that, you know, are, are assistant GMs and such. Here, we even have an event coordinator in our location because we're really high volume. We do a lot of events. Um, and so you may need that um, in some of those locations, more depth, but we focus on getting in a really good GM candidate because, 
um, as you know, it, it kind of goes from the top down. So if we don't get a good person in place, a really good leader in place, and really that starts with the franchisee. I mean, ultimately, they've got to be a great person. They've got to be able to, you know, help us with that process of finding a good GM too, because we can we can't really force that issue either. Because if the good if we see a GM and they're fantastic, but they don't see eye to eye with the franchisee, that's not going to make sense either. So um, we were really lucky in our. Uh, location in our Greenville. It's actually Malden is the name of the town. It's a suburb of Greenville, South Carolina, where they um, they had somebody that they knew already. Um, we did do a couple different interviews with a couple different people, but they had this one person that they kind of had in mind, and uh, she blew our socks off. She was fantastic. Um, her name's Rachel, and right away we knew she was going to be a good fit. She um, she's opened a bunch of restaurants. She worked for a company that did what we're doing, where they went from being a local restaurant up there um, called Tipsy Tacos, and they became. Oh, a, yeah. Are you familiar with them? Yeah. Um, we've. Uh, yeah. In fact, there's one not. Uh, I've, I've eaten it one, you know, 15 minutes from my house. Uh, sure. I'd never yeah, heard so of it. She was with oh. them when they just had a couple of locations in the Greenville area, and she helped them to become a franchise as well. So she's familiar with that process. Um, so yeah, she's great. So we, we, we actually do a zoom call with her every morning at like 10 AM every, every Monday morning at 10 AM and just kind of go over how things are coming along with opening and stuff. But having that key person is, you know, night and day difference (laughs) in the success of the business. So a lot of the people we're getting are are kind of the investor type people that want to be involved though. They're not hands off necessarily, but they're not, can, they're not enough experience in the restaurant business. We, we, for instance, we had a guy that we were interviewed recently that wanted to was going to run the daily operations, and I told him I said I, I would completely advise against that. <laughs> I was like, you, your experience is waiting tables in college, and you're 50 years old now. So it's <laughs> like I don't think that's going to be your best bet. And, I, and, it, and here's why: they gave all the reasons, and I, and the biggest thing I think that they are scared of is that a lot of times they're like, well, if I'm paying a general manager, that's less money than I'm going to make. And I said, well, that's you. That's a very short term view of it though you know like yes maybe so in the very beginning but um i remember when i stepped out of daily operations and put a gm in place and we grew the business by i think it was we went from 1.9 million to 2.3 million in sales the next year so i grew the business by four hundred thousand dollars um by me being able to focus more on operations in the business you know than like being in the business daily so that thirty thousand beat up view. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a 20-something percent growth in, in a year. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah that's huge. That's uh, huge. Okay. So, well, that was, uh, I mean, that's interesting because I was wondering that when you mentioned that you've got, you know, folks that are not necessarily going to be involved. Um, my initial thought was, could that be a, could that be a, a problem if, you know, they're not, then, you know, because you were involved, you built this thing, you did it yourself, Absolutely. you know, everything about every job in that restaurant and how it works. And therefore you can decision it well, but so, but having the right GM that has that experience is, is better than having somebody in there that doesn't, but that just. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and I think these guys are all going to be involved, right? They're not like completely hands off, like, oh, here's my money, take it. And then yeah, I'm with yeah. it. It's not, that's not the candidate we're looking for either. You know, it's that, it's that balance between the two. And so, um, you know, I think it, it is really important to us to have the, the guy that, that knows that he's got to 
knows where he's not the things he's not good at, <laughs> understands those, and yeah. then, um, but still is involved and still helps grow in the business. A great example is a guy in Mount Pleasant too. He's um, he's in sales. I mean, that's what he's done, and he's really great at it. And we've had these really fantastic conversations about how do you build, you know, how do you grow a business? I'm a big top line guy. I'm a big like let's grow sales, and that'll solve all the rest of your issues. Because <laughs> in the restaurant industry running a million dollar restaurant compared to running a three or $4 million restaurant is a, those three or $4 million restaurants are a lot easier to run because they're a lot easier. They, they kind of fix themselves with a lot of the sales. So, um, you know, he's, he's great at looking at that and looking at that viewpoint of it, which is fantastic. So. Um, yeah. Okay. This is so cool, man. Um, when does the, when does the, uh, Greenville location open? Presumably we're hoping sometime like early summer, but it, it's really with supply chain and everything like that right now, it, it's kind of all over the map. <laughs> um, that's the goal. We are, it, they're converting an old Rite Aid building into, uh, it's going to have, it's a, it's three parts. So um, one part of it, the main section of it, the biggest part is going to be us, going to be a Bohemian Bowl. And then there's going to be a, a bagel shop on the other end and in the middle, some office spaces. Um, and it's a developer in the Greenville market that has made some really, really beautiful locations, um, taken some old buildings and renovated them and made them into gorgeous spots. One of them is a, um, is a spot that's like, it, it, it's like an eatery where you walk in and then there's a bunch of little restaurants inside. There's like a yeah. coffee shop and like a taco yeah. place and yeah. stuff. And then there's open communal tables that everybody sits at, right? Which I think is a big thing now in a lot of cities. Yeah. Um, we have one here in Charleston as well. And, uh, and, and, it, and it's gorgeous. They did a great job with it. So we're excited about working with them. They're, they should have the property turned over to us sometime this month. Um, and when they turn the property over to us, it's, you know, gangbusters from there, we'll start moving in the right direction with everything and doing the build out. And it's going to be a really neat location for us because, um, you know, they're going to do a, a, a second story, you know, the uh, Rite Aid's got this big, huge open ceiling. It's like a two story building, but it's just open. And so they're taking that open space and they're building like over top of the kitchen essentially is going to be a, another bar, another seating area. And it'll go out into an, a, like a kind of like a rooftop deck um, type area as well. So it's gonna be a really neat spot. Um, it's got a lot of really neat design elements to it that are really fun. That that's another thing with our brand that I think is different is that we don't want to be cookie cutter. We don't want to go in and, and so you can't open a bunch of them because we can't say here's a plan, chink, go. <laughs> like it's uh, where every location is gonna be unique. And we're working with, we have designers and we have architects and all that kind of stuff, but we work with a franchisee too, to kind of bring in an element of what's local and what works for that particular location. Um, so, um, you know, we're, we're the location that we're building in Greenville is an old Rite Aid. And then the location of Mount Pleasant that we just put a letter in Tetons and an old Carabas. So <laughs> it's a completely oh, really? different game. It's an existing restaurant. But you don't want it to look like a Carabas, right? So you got to go in and you got to re revamp the whole thing and make it look like it's a Bohemian Bowl. So, T tell. So I've I've been to Bohemian Bowl and I've known you for a while, and um, I love what y'all are doing. Tell so tell people that are listening just a quick summary about about your business. 
Yeah, so it's uh, it's you know burgers and beer and bourbon is what we hang our hat on. Um, but uh, you know, I, I always say it's bar food done well. But I think it's my franchisee sales team would say it's bar food done great <laughs> um, because you know I, I underestimate the quality of our food sometimes. I know how much I love it. And when we started this process, I was like, really, like I said, I was shocked that anybody would want to even buy one of these. But it is really because our food is really great. It's, you know, we grind all of our own meat in house. Our sauces and everything are made here from scratch. Um, you know, we're, we're sourcing some local veggies when we can, and when the timing's right. Um, the craft beer, we have 32 draft lines with all craft beer. You're not going to find any local domestic stuff on there so no no Budweiser's or Miller's or anything we can't we do carry those in the bottles and cans for those that like that kind of stuff and that's not a problem at all we want to kind of we we have all, we have stuff for everybody here which is what's really cool we have an amazing cocktail program um really neat great bourbon program we have about 80 different bourbons and whiskeys uh, we travel to Kentucky about every three months we do single barrel programs from Kentucky where we pick out single barrels from different distilleries that are branded just for us um, we have everything from like fish and chips to Rubens to obviously all of our burgers. So really good classic pub food that you're going to find in a lot of restaurants, but done really well. Like we're making our own corned beef here in house. Right. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's on another level as far as the food experience is concerned. And then it's in an environment that's just really warm and welcoming. So it's very eclectic. Um, every location is going to look a little different, um, you know, big mural, big beer murals on the wall and big outdoor spaces. All of them are going to have outdoor spaces um, here. We've got a 6,000 square foot beer garden. I don't think we're going to find that in every location. <laughs> it's pretty rare to have That's that big yeah. of a space. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So it's required. They have certain requirements they have to abide by size wise and, and they're required to have a minimum of a thousand square feet, which is still a pretty good size outdoor space. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, we do live music and we have oyster roasts. And one of the things that's really important to us too, is giving back to the community. It's a big part of what we do. So we do fundraisers like almost once a month, we have a different fundraiser um, for different all, uh, it's kind of spread across the board on who we work with. We don't really have like a, we have, we do, I, I will say we do have certain ones that over the years we work with annually where we do the same fundraiser for them year after year after year. And then we have a lot of them are just small stuff. Like we do fundraisers for local PTAs for their schools and stuff like that. And just kind of give back in that way. I'm a big believer that we would be successful if it wasn't for the support of our community. And so we've got to give back in some way, but yeah, it's uh it's fun. It's, it's a really great environment. It's a really fun environment. We try to produce a, um, an environment where our staff is super happy and loves what they do and enjoys what they do. And I think it's reflective of that. I think when you come in, you feel that, you feel that vibe, you feel that energy here. Um, so I hope that gives a good description when, since you can't really see it since we're just talking. <laughs> well, I will, we'll put, you, you know, um, send people to the website and I mean, I can attest personally that everything you said, you know, adds up and my freaking burger. I mean, I, I think it was fantastic. I can't remember what I had. I know I had a really good big burger and it was awesome. So, yeah, burgers are awesome. Um, well, uh, in fact, what, before I forget, so to uh, tell everybody the, the website. 
Yeah, it's super simple. It's bohemianbowl.com. So it's uh, B-O-H-E-M-I-A-N-B-U-L-L, Bohemian Bowl. Not, a lot of times we get, when we say Bohemian Bowl, they think like the bowl, like a like you would eat out of. Um, <laughs> but bowl like horns, bowl. Um, and when you see our logo, logo, you obviously get that right away with our logo. It's a, it's a Pilsner glass with bull horns on the side of it. So really unique, fun logo. And um, that's part of our branding has been... Um, you know, one of the things that has attracted us to people. So are there other, um, are there, are there other beer garden type concepts that are franchised? I mean, you see them, you know, around some now, but are there other ones that are franchising as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some other brands out there that are, that are franchising. I can't, think of there's nobody in our area um particularly um world of beers is probably going to be the most famous one that most people have heard of before yeah, yeah, um yeah. you know they they're but their their focus is really craft beer oriented i mean they're doing hundreds of different types of craft beer and that's really what they hang their hat on is craft beer we're a little bit more diversified than that i mean don't get me wrong we we have a fantastic craft beer program um, but that's not all that we do here. I think a big difference is in, is in our food program. Um, you know, we sell almost 70% of our sales come in food. And so even though we are have a really great uh, bar program, most people come here, they get a meal and then they have like a beer or a cocktail with their meal. So um, they're not necessarily having, they're not coming here just to drink. I mean, we do get that on occasion, but it's pretty rare. Um, and so in a place like world of beers i think their focus is a lot more on the craft beer program and i think you see that in most of the from what i've seen from what the research i've seen i'm sure there's some people out there that are doing what we're doing we're not you know it's hard to find anybody in the restaurant world anymore that's like not uh that's 100 completely unique like you've never seen anything like that before oh, no, <laughs> um, no, you know we're, yeah. we're all kind yeah. of doing things based on what we grew up doing and what we learned and i think that's one of the things that's most amazing about food is it's nostalgic right in a lot of ways is that you like you think of your childhood and you're like we started yeah. doing a smash burger recently and people are like i mean it's become instantly one of our number one selling burgers because People are like, oh my God, I love, it's the simplest thing, right? It's two little patties smashed on a, on a flat top grill with American cheese and pickles, <laughs> you know, and some yeah, sauce yeah. on it. And people go nuts over it because they just love the fact that it reminds them of, you know, that Big Mac that they had when they were a kid. And, um, but, you know, in our case, we're grinding, you know, brisket and chuck and hand patting mm. it and, you know, all, making our own sauce and all that kind of stuff. So it's, a, yeah. it's like an upgraded Big Mac. It's good. It's fun though. But that's the, that's the beauty of the restaurant business, you know, is that we, you gather together with people and you eat together and you have good times and it's a, it's another world. Well, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I'm super fired up for y'all, uh, Chad and um, man, just you'll um, the way you approach it is such a wise, you know, long-term perspective. And uh I've got to imagine that's going to be a huge part of why this thing's super successful. Let me ask you this, actually. One thing that you have to, I'm assuming you've been dealing with, or the franchisees may be dealing with this. It seems like everybody I've talked to is dealing with, you know, labor, getting mm -hmm. people. I mean, how, how has that been for, for y'all? And, and how does that factor into, you know, conversations y'all are having with people? Cause it just seems like it's just harder and harder to find 
people to work now. And then of course, everybody's trying to figure out, okay, well, if I've got people like, you know, what do I, how do I keep them? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I do. I agree with you. And I, and I think industry wide, um, there is a lot of changes that need to be made. I think we, I think restaurateurs need to open up their eyes a little bit and realize that we need to provide better environments. We need to provide better benefits for people. We need to do things differently than we were doing before in order to make it, as people say, it, an income that they can live off of, right? Like, like a, a having paying people $12 an hour just doesn't exist anymore. And for rightfully so in my eyes. I mean, I really think that we should be paying people more. Um, that's easy to say when you do, when you're busy and you're doing really well. Um, I can imagine the struggles of people around the country that have been forced to be closed down by their governments and, or have, or just don't do that volume that we do. And it's mom and pop and they're in there robbing it daily, day in and day out. Um, and so, you know, we build restaurants to do multi-million dollars in sales. That's the goal anyways, right? I mean, if we don't, no, obviously, until they're open and we're getting them running and everything like that. But that's the goal is that they that they do high volume. And so, um, you know, we pay ourselves, we pay our, our, our cooks better than we'd like to think that most people do. We're really competitive with our pay because I, I say cooks because I think that's where most people are talking about when they have labor shortages. Um, yeah. I, I can't at least in our environment here in Charleston, like for servers and, and um, bartenders and such, it's. I get applications daily almost of, of those types of positions, um, but cooks are harder to come by. And so what do you do differently? Well, you provide an environment where there's zero tolerance for um, negativity, right? Like we don't have management team that ever yells or cusses or does anything like it's a super positive, you know, environment where we just we just don't have any tolerance for anything like that here and what that does is that it just provides a place where people feel comfortable when they come to work you know you're not going to come in and get screamed and yelled at and get the pot thrown at you by your chef because he's mad because he didn't cut the onion the right way and that still exists I mean it really does and um and it's unfortunate but that's just not there's there's zero tolerance for that here um and, and when we've had that we've unfortunately we've had to let people go because of that um, and then we have, uh, so there's pay, there's environment, culture, which, you know, goes hand in hand with each other. Um, we do, we do a lot of really great benefits here. So we have a 401k program that, where we match our employees pay for up to 4% of their income. Um, so, you know, last year alone, I think I gave back like $40,000, um, to my employees in 401k. Um, to help them save for retirement. Um, we have health insurance here, um, which, you know, a lot of people don't provide anymore, but to me, all these things are things that mean that I'm going to make less money, but um, it also means that I'm providing real jobs for people, not just, um, I guess you could say it's not a job. It's a, it's, it's now their income. It's their livelihood. It's not just, you know, show up to work. I, there's, I can't tell you how many cooks we've had that are so accustomed to working two jobs because that's what they had to do. And I've sat down and been like, well, what do we need to do to get you out of that? <laughs> is it pay? Is it, you just like working a lot? Like, <laughs> you know, what is it? And nine times out of 10, it's pay, you know, they just, they need to make more money in order to not do that. And so we try to figure out how we can make that work. And, uh, and we've seen, you know, we've taken a hit labor cost wise doing that. 
Um, but it makes sense to me. It, it just, it makes more sense. I mean, in, in some of that, you have to pass along to the customers. I mean, that's the reality of it too, is that we're still in a for-profit business. I mean, this isn't a nonprofit business. If we're very honest and real about it, um, I love my nonprofits. That's why we give back to them all the time because I know the struggles they go through, but we are a for-profit business. So some of that is passed along to the customers and pricing. Um, you know, we don't do things, you know, like we're a, we compost in house, for example. So like we buy really expensive to go where all of our to go where is all compostable from silverware to boxes, to cups, to everything we do. So um, we compost here in house and, and that, comes with a price tag as well so all that stuff adds up and uh and and but i go back to let's work on sales let's grow sales and make that our main priority of like getting people in the door and, and giving them a really great experience then hopefully that'll all fall to the bottom line at some point in time well i would imagine too that when you're when you take care of your people really well and you provide those types of benefits it's got to reduce turnover. Um, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Turnover's super expensive. It's expensive to hire and train people. It's expensive to lose 100%. people. So um, that all, you, again, you're looking at this sort of long-term big picture, not how much can I make myself, you know, this month or this year, but can we build this into something that long-term is, you know, a, a success story and and yeah, that's and I mean we're we're somewhat seasonal you know we have a slower yeah. January and February we're our, our busiest months are um April through September um but we don't lay people off you know we just kind of suck it up over the off season and try to still get everybody their hours and we focus on maintenance and cleanliness and all that kind of stuff and training during the off season you know let's get every detail on the place you know <laughs> every corner dusted and every paint yeah. nick repainted and all that kind of stuff in the off season and then um you know and, and just try to get people their hours as best as we can and um yeah i mean it's you know i i know everybody says it but we really do try to make it feel like a family here where people really care about each other and we do lose people but nine times out of, not nine times out of ten like almost a hundred percent of the time i really can only think of a handful of people that we've ever lost to another restaurant they usually go on another career path they're like oh i graduated college and now i'm going to go use something with my degree and they worked here through i mean we had a kid that just left that started with with us um when he was like i think tim was 16 or 17 when he started with us and he just graduated college and um and he's still working like one he left and he came back and he was like, I still want to do like one or two days a week. Can I do that? <laughs> and he works in our kitchen, right? I mean, he's worked here for, for eight years in our kitchen and, uh, and, and he does a fantastic job for us. And, and he's working one or two days a week, still just picking up some shifts and stuff. And, um, and so, you know, I think we do lose some people sometimes to restaurants every once in a while, but it's really, really rare. And it's usually that feeling of the grass is greener on the other side kind of situation. Or, you know, we lost somebody recently that they just really wanted to learn how to do sushi. So they went and they went, worked for a sushi restaurant. It was like, no, you know, we were super happy for her and we thought it was great and, you know, go for it and do your thing. Yeah. So she worked here for a few years for us and did a great job and everything like that. And, you know, obviously she was, it was a hard decision for her to make, but it was something she was really excited about learning and doing. And, and sometimes in the world of a kitchen, when you get people that are passionate about food, that's just the reality of it. They just want to learn stuff, you know, and they want yeah, to go do different yeah. things. So that's, you have to, you have to, I think as a business owner, kind of own that and, and understand that too. And especially 
in the front of the house too, we see that with servers who are, this is a stepping stone. They're in college, they're in high school, whatever it is. And they're using, they have this job, you know, to make a little bit of money, money while they're doing those other things too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, gosh, man, I'm so excited for you. I'm so glad we got to catch up. Um, Absolutely. I know you've got another meeting in about 20, 25 minutes, so I'm going to, I'm going to let you roll, but, uh, uh, thank you, man. Just thanks for yeah. the years of support and encouragement. And, um, thanks for taking the time to do this and congrats. Absolutely. I can't wait to, maybe we'll do this again in six months or something once Greenville's open and, uh, keep this conversation going. I, I'm highly fascinated and just want to, you know, stay dialed in on what's happening. We, um, we go to, we're in Greenville. I don't know. I mean, once or twice a year, maybe something like that. So I'll, I'll definitely be, uh, partaking. That's a little bit easier for me to get to than, uh, Sure. Down in the neck of the woods. Um, we also, um, in our in our um, franchise um, agreement that we have, we have certain things that they're required to use, and one of them is schedule fly. So oh, <laughs> we'll take it. So you you have some new customers coming your way. Um, we right. feel like it's a system that um, it, that makes sense and that is easy to manage and, and works really well. Um, hopefully someday you guys will integrate with our point of sale system as well. I know that some of y'all have been working on for a long time, but, um, it, it doesn't really matter to us. They, they offer a scheduling program and we turned it down. So, um, we, you got, you got some new customers coming your way through us at some point in time as well. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you Absolutely. very much. Chad, good to see you. Awesome. Thanks. Well, I appreciate Bye. your time. I'll talk to you Bye. soon. Later. See you. Bye.